Hello and welcome to the Bikes for Death podcast. My name is Patrick and I'm your host. I hope everyone is doing well, staying safe, practicing very good social distancing, and taking this shit seriously. I know it is on all of our minds, but hopefully uh, podcasts are a great, great way to get your mind off of all the craziness in the world right now and all the stress and just the mental health of being home and distance from your friends and loved ones. Uh, I know everybody is, is adjusting to that, but hopefully this podcast and others is a great way to just get a break, uh, relax, remember funner times and look forward to more adventures on the horizon, hopefully in the near future. Today's guest is Emma Flukes, who is a person that I've been wanting to interview for quite some time. I first found out about her just on Instagram. She was participating in an event called Tassie's Gift. I really enjoyed following along her Instagram stories because the weather was terrible and she just had this great uh just outlook and perspective and, and a sense of humor about the whole thing. And overall, I just, uh, I, yeah, I, I didn't really, I didn't know her at all. Uh, I just kind of got a feel for her from Instagram. I equally enjoyed our chat. Uh, she is very entertaining, uh, has some great ideas of her own. Um, I really like that she doesn't beat to anybody else's drum. She's just doing her own thing. She's staying in her lane figuring out what works for her, and maybe some of that will translate and help some of y'all out there. Um, but most importantly, I think it's it's just a good message to remember to do it your way. There's no one right way to do it and figure out your own path and find your own happiness. And uh, so it was great. It was a great conversation, uh, great perspectives, and I hope that you enjoy it as much as I did. Uh, we actually chatted for quite some time. I think we're both uh, enjoying the conversation and just kind of we didn't have anywhere to go or no time limit, so we just let this one flow. Uh, about, I think about 30 minutes into this episode, I get uh, blown up on my phone, and normally I have my phone, you know, I'm not paying attention to it, but I was getting a call from a relative, a family member, and several text messages, and I, and it was in relation to what's going on with the coronavirus, so I actually took a break from the podcast, checked in with my family, and... Uh, so there was an interesting kind of twist as we were talking about the coronavirus. Uh, I was personally impacted. And, uh, so after, after the podcast, after it's all over, I'll, uh, say a few words about what happened. Dun, dun, dun. All right. Well, listen, before we get to the show, just a few things. Uh, first off, thank you to all the patrons out there. You are so valued and so appreciated. There are 19 new patrons just this month, uh, and that is huge. That's the biggest month uh, of growth that the podcast has ever seen. So thank you so much for your support. It is very appreciated. I pour a lot of time and energy into this as it's something I care about and I enjoy. So to have you all value it and contribute to the growth of the show is always very appreciated and is is just helpful to uh, keep the show going and growing strong. So thanks again to all y'all. Uh, if you're interested in supporting the show, you can do so for as little as a dollar a month. Head over to patreon.com. You can find me there, Bikes or Death, and you get some sweet swag and some uh, extra content that's only available to patrons. 
And in the wake of everything that's going on with the coronavirus, I figured I would do something to combat it in a very small way. If you go to bikesordeath.com, head over to my store, starting today and going until this thing is done and dusted, I'm going to be running a coronavirus special on the website. So if you head over to bikesordeath.com and at checkout, use the promo code C19 to get 19% off everything in the store. Um, <laughs> I'm guilty of it. I know one thing that I've been doing is kind of, we're all probably spending more time on our phones and computers and uh, online retail therapy is uh, is a thing. I, I just purchased a new bike that I didn't really need, uh, but I did need it and it's beautiful. <laughs> but anyway, so uh, hopefully that'll help some people out there spread the love and combat the coronavirus in a very, very small way. All right, and lastly, please, if you could do me a huge favor, head over to iTunes, leave a rating and a review if you feel so inclined. That's one of the most impactful ways to help other people find out about the show. And uh, so if you're enjoying it and you want to kind of share the love and let other people know about it, that's a great way to do it. So thanks again to everybody. Thank you to Emma. It was a great chat, and I'm rooting for everybody out there. Stay safe, stay home, and uh, that's it. Let's get to the show. You load up your bike, you ride away from home. You could be with your friends or you could be alone. You ride for a day or maybe more. You just love being in the great outdoors. Everything you need is strapped to your bars, including that new pillow you got from Santa Claus. And then you think, oh shit to yourself. You left that super lightweight tent on the living room shelf. Bikes. Real, I do want to actually talk more about the coronavirus and everything that's going on, but just to get started, I want to try something new and fun, uh, or hopefully fun, uh, but let's do a getting to know you round real quick. Just some uh, some short questions and uh, get, get, get an idea of who you are real quick. Uh, first off, what is your name? My name is Emma Flukes. And where are you from? I'm from Tasmania, which is an island off the south coast of Australia, and it's not in East Africa. It's not Tanzania. So, is and is that where you are calling in from right now? Yes, I am. So, a long way away from you. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to picture that in my head as you were describing it, and I failed miserably. Um, <laughs> and and uh, about what time of the day do you all start drinking there? Uh, you know, as long as it's after 9 a.m., it's fine. Okay, so have you already, uh, what time is it there right now? It's almost 11, so yeah, I'm already about half a bottle of, of red wine deep, you know, you just got to look after the antioxidants. Very good, very good. Well, I might join you here shortly. It's uh, <laughs> 7 p.m. here in uh, Texas where I am in the state, so it's always fun uh, making that connection halfway across the world. <laughs> All right, what is a Hubbard? Oh, man, I can't believe that this was something that hadn't occurred to you until just recently. But um, so yeah, and, and if I'm showing my ignorance here, that's totally fine. But I'm asking no, I think... because I saw it uh, on your Instagram and I was like, <laughs> what is she talking about? <laughs> yeah, I think it must be. I mean, I never realized it was just an Australian thing. But um, yeah, so in Australia, um, if you see someone riding a bike and they are just 
um, looking like a bit of a knob. They're wearing, you know, they've got a full aero suit on and they're riding at 10 k's an hour or they've got, you know, all the gear, no idea. Um, people call them a Hubbard. So I think it's, yeah, all the gear, no idea is probably the best explanation, but there's all these, if you follow the hashtag Hubbard watch, it's really, it's pretty horrible. People are posting all these candid photos they've taken of cyclists at traffic lights um, who think they're superheroes, but are really very shit. Um, and so it's usually used as a used as a derogatory term, but I don't know. I think there's a bit of Hubbard in all of us. We're all trying to be bigger and better than we are. Yeah. Well, I'm going to uh, get more into the Hubbard later, but um, <laughs> for now, uh, what do you do for a living? So I'm a marine scientist. I do like I was based in research, um, so I was doing a lot of. Jeez, you don't want to know exactly about the science, but um, <laughs> I was doing lots of boating and diving work and conducting research and you know saving the world. Um, but there aren't there aren't a lot of jobs in in research at the moment because we had big government um, cuts to anything related to the environment because Australia doesn't care about that. So I've sort of moved into a more of a like a data management space. So I work with other people's data and I help to make um, research data open access um so it's very desk-based at the moment but you know it's all in the same all in the same world you're basically just saving the world every day you go into work pretty much yeah i like to think of myself as god really yeah well no we appreciate that i had no <laughs> idea i had no idea this is so good to get to know you all right uh now what do you name your bikes um i mean i don't intentionally but yeah i think i'd probably do end up calling them the same thing habitually but because they're all very small they tend to get these cutesy little names they don't get human names because that would just be weird they're not called you know bruce and stanley but yes. I, I do have the little rocket which is um the one that takes me far uh why don't you just tell us about that bike real quick that that bike um and also why don't you tell us what it was like to be honored with the distinguished pr privilege of being featured on the bikes for death instagram page <laughs> Bike Born Monday. That must have cool. been quite uh, an exciting time in your life. Yeah, well, naturally, you know, I printed that out in, um, you know, door-sized canvas and um, and have mounted that on my wall. Um, but, yeah, so that that bike is, it's a little um, Kenyan hardtail. It's not a bikepacking bike. It's a cross-country race bike. Um, but the difficulty that I am faced with with uh, buying bikes is that, I'm not particularly tall. I'm, in your terms, five foot two, um, but I have quite long legs, so I've got a really short reach. So most manufacturers' frames are too big for me, and particularly bikepacking frames because they try and maximise um, the triangle space. Mm -hmm. They're just always they're hefty, or there's big geometry compromises, and there's you know massive toe overlap or something. And at the end of the day, I like you know I like riding and shredding. I'm not I'm not out there just to have a long haul bike. I'm out there to have a really versatile fun machine and um yeah this was at the time it was the only literally the only bike I could find that I could buy that would fit me well and as a result it's meant to be a 29er but in the the child size they put 650 wheels under it but you know it works for me <laughs> it's, um, it's quite impressive impressive actually I, I love uh I mean it's, it's such a like small bike and you found a way <laughs> to make it all work and uh yeah. it's pretty badass oh thanks I appreciate it it's taken quite a while to to figure out um, the way that strapping gear on works best for me. Like, you know, when I started, I just did what everyone else did um, and put it where people said you should put it. And then I just 
yeah, I started playing around with weight distributions and um, and I now keep gear where people say that the bike won't handle well, but it, it does for me. So, yeah, I'm now – I'm really, really happy with how things are running now. And I actually find that when I take my bags off my bike, I find it really difficult to do the, the techie stuff because, you know, the back wheel's bouncing around and the front's washing out because it's such a light, um, you know, fast bike. It, it actually steers a lot better when you load it up with crap. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I understand what you're saying. All right, last question, the getting to know you round. Uh, another Instagram question. What the sure. fuck is going on with that spider? <laughs> it's not one. It's, there are, I you reckon. a colony. Well, see, I don't know how many there are in the house at any one time because, so I let them chill out for a while, but sometimes they start getting a bit sort of aggro and hang out on the mirror or come visit you while you're sleeping. And when that happens, then that's not cool. So I'll take them outside. And I'm pretty sure it's not just the same one that keeps coming back in. Um, so, yeah, look, I don't know where they're coming from and I don't know where they're going. And <laughs> I don't know if they have a convention while I'm sleeping or something. But, wow. yeah, don't love them. I had no idea. I thought it was just uh, <laughs> moving around, but you're actually taking them out of the house and then yeah, they're yeah. reappearing. Yep. Yeah. Oh my gosh. What kind of snake is it? It is a is it a freaky looking snake snake. Wait, spider. spider. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um it's it's just a huntsman. They're really common. They don't I mean okay. they do bite, but they don't, you know, they just hurt a bit. They're not gonna cause you any harm. But they're just yeah, yeah. they're just really fat and hairy and I don't know. I think everyone's got a bit of a innate uh discomfort around big fat hairy spiders. Yeah, I think so. But if you know that they're they're harmless, it's it's fine. Yeah. Y'all got a lot of creepy crawlies around that, those parts? Yeah, so Tasmania is not as bad as mainland Australia because it's pretty cold down here. Um, but, you know, we've only got three species of snake and we've got, you know, we've got a bunch of spiders, but none of oh, – we do have one or two that will kill you, but they just don't. Um, so, yeah, we've got snakes, spiders, um, but we don't have any – in Tassie, we don't have any dangerous wildlife, like as far as, you know, we don't have bears, we don't have, I don't know, coyote, coyotes, we don't have... Mountain lions. No. The big one here. No, everything's fluffy. Yeah, okay. All right. Well, good to meet you, Emma. Thank you for uh, coming on the podcast, and uh, thanks for doing the first ever Getting to Know You round. Oh, thanks for having me. <laughs> All right, well, listen, today is, what is today? Thursday, March... 19th uh, and I wanted to talk a little bit about what's going on in your part of the world with the coronavirus I think you know I thought about whether it's it's prudent to talk about on a bikepacking podcast <laughs> per se but um, I really do have this sense that we're all in this together um, we all kind of need to bond together and be alone <laughs> yeah. um, and, and just you know but but I feel like we're all feeling it to some degree um, and the reason I brought up the date is because time is just moving so quickly. I mean, it's important to note that we're recording this on Thursday, March 19th, because if I don't release this for a week, we could, it could be a completely different world, you know, um, that we're looking at. So, um, but yeah, what, uh, I mean, you're a scientist. I know you are always full of fun facts. Uh, what's <laughs> going on in, in your part of the world? Okay, so... Um, Australia is probably, I don't know, maybe two weeks behind the US, I reckon, as far as, um, you know, our, our timing of uh, infections. Um, we have some, I mean, 
Australia is a massive, massive landmass. Um, so there's we've got a fair bit going on in um, our bigger cities, but in the more remote areas, they're basically business as usual. They're restricting visitation in to try and keep, like particularly our Indigenous communities, it would be catastrophic if um, if sickness got into them because they just don't have the healthcare systems to deal with it. So we've had a lot of restriction of um, domestic travel. Our planes are still flying domestically, but um, there's big areas of Australia, like there's the, the northern tip of Australia, Cape York, um, is a huge landmass and it's got a very low population, but it's a popular place for for driving. So they've actually just shut off that whole area and said no one can come in because we, we don't have the facilities to deal with sickness here. Mm. Um, in Tasmania, <laughs> it's funny, I was just saying earlier, you probably are not using that audio snippet. So um, we've actually... We haven't shut off the island because apparently that's unconstitutional and uh, would cause a lot of issues, which I'm not unhappy about. But uh, they've introduced a 14-day quarantine for anyone coming to Tasmania, including people returning home. So my partner has actually just arrived back home from business in Melbourne, mm. and he was fortunate. He has. He, I just heard him walk in the door. Um, he's arrived <laughs> in time before the um before the lockdown. Wait, he um, just arrived the moment you said that? Oh, ten, uh, five minutes ago, maybe. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> That's yeah. crazy. <laughs> yeah, so he's just dodged um, dodged being having to be in quarantine for, for two weeks. Um, Are you going to quarantine so... him in his own room for 14 days or what? <laughs> you don't know what yeah. the fuck he's got. <laughs> yeah, I know. I did say that I was going to lock him in the garage and let off some, some insect um, bombs. But, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I think the situation in Australia is that we, we absolutely are not um, medically equipped to deal with um, with any sort of large-scale outbreak, as, you know, as is the case everywhere, I think. Um, mm-hmm. And to be honest, our, um, our uh, preventative measures are pretty lax. Like, it seems draconian, but then you... You hear and see what's happening in um, in some of those Italian towns, and certainly in um, Wuhan, it's just nuts the uh, restrictions that they've put in place. So yeah, look, in Tasmania, we'll be fine because we have we're now pretty much this um, isolated pocket. Mm-hmm. It's what what I am noticing is how how badly hit all the local businesses are, and it's just going to be it's going to be devastating for the economy. Like I read. This morning, that there was 105 billion dollars that's just been of cash that's just been injected into the Australian economy because we're about to go into a recession. Like our mm. um, dollar was, I think, up to 75 US, and it's now it's probably going to drop below 55. It's just yeah, it's a mm. bit of a scary time. But you know, we're all in the same boat. So yeah. I just feel very lucky that I I don't work in hospitality. Um, so <laughs> my job is probably probably unlikely to be threatened. I'll never say never. Um, but yeah, there's just there's just so many people who are seemingly overnight out of work. Um, yeah. And I just don't know what the solution to that's going to be. What's going to happen for all these people in the next, you know, weeks, months? Because this, yeah, this thing is not, the, the whole intention of uh, these preventative, or not preventative, the intention of the measures we're taking is, as everyone knows, to flatten the curve. But all that does is prolong the time period over which people have these exposures and people get sick. And obviously the end goal is to not overload the healthcare system so we are minimising deaths from people who can't be treated. 
but right. it does mean that this we're situation... kicking a can down the road essentially yeah yeah exactly so yeah it's a it's a interesting time and i think i honestly don't think that we'll learn much from it because people don't learn um mm. but you know there might be some more policies in place down the track I'm, I'm i'm kind of interested in that that's one comment that i made i mean listen i think that the only tool in our arsenal right now is to social distance and to stay at home and to minimize your contact with other people and all that stuff understanding that i mean you do the best that you can do but i am curious how we have, as a species is going to respond to this with all of our technology, with information, the the ability to talk to other people in Tassie right now and see what's going on over there. I'm I'm curious. I'm hopeful. I guess I'm an optimist. Are you a pessimist or a realist? <laughs> oh, look, I like to I like to consider myself a realist. I think it's hard to be an environmental scientist and be positive about much. To be honest, uh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't. Let's let's just stop with coronavirus. <laughs> you don't need to go down every. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Every scary thing going on well it it is interesting as you were talking i mean and that's what i was kind of saying is i do feel connected to everybody right now and when you're talking you're describing a very similar reality what i'm experiencing here we're not in total lockdown um, but they've shut down obviously events gatherings restaurants bars um, schools Um, there's quite a bit that's that's shut down the financial side is the side that um is really scary. I mean, it's hitting everybody. Everybody's just scrambling around trying to figure out what to do, you know? Yeah, look, at least, um, I guess, over in the States, you have the uh, comparative security of the US dollar is always um, a like a safe hold in times of crisis. People people go and in, invest in that. So your, your dollar, at least, will stay strong. doesn't mean that people aren't out of work. But, right. um, yeah, you know, the Australian dollar is going to be like, the piso shortly it's it's just crazy um it's completely it's going to completely change our economy but yeah look there's i don't know 20 million of us will figure it out um but yeah just along the lines of you're saying that your bars and restaurants and stuff are closed down we haven't in australia we haven't yet had any mandated closures or we have we've had the event um the events cancelled and we have we can now we can have public gatherings of up to 100 people inside and 500 outside, but we haven't had any mandated closures of, um, yeah, bars, restaurants, mm. cafes. Do you have any cases yet? Yeah, yeah. So we have about, um, I think we have about maybe five or six hundred. So that's nationwide. Um, Tassie uh-huh. has ten, um, <laughs> but. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's it's not. I think we actually are tracking on the same trajectory as probably not so much Italy, but um, countries like Spain. So it's not it's not great. Um, but I think the vast majority of our cases have been o- recent overseas arrivals. So our incidence of person to person transmission has been kept relatively low. Um, and I think a lot of that's to do with like our public transport system. Like, we don't even have essentially public transport in Tassie. It sounds very mm. backwater, but, yeah, we basically don't. Um, and on mainland Australia, we just don't have the, like, super overcrowded subways and we just have much more space to live in. We're less in each other's pockets, and I think that's mm. probably helping things. Oh, yeah, for sure. That definitely is going to help. So uh, do you have any uh, outlooks on what the future looks like? 
or is that is that too big of a question? <laughs> uh, no, no, it's fine. You mean like just just post post COVID or you know beyond extending well, beyond? Well, I I guess the my biggest question would be, I mean, and I've listened to a stuff ton of stuff, and it, I think it's an impossible question to answer. But um, how long will this? how long is this going to have an impact on us for, you know, I mean, some people say it's two months and other people say it's two years. Look, you know, I'm certainly um, no economist, so I can't really speak from a position of authority there, but I do like to speculate because, you know, um, yeah. so I, look, I don't. Either one of us know what we're talking about. We're just <laughs> like. <laughs> hey, look, I took a virology unit in undergrad. So, you know, Ooh, okay. um, I don't know what virology <laughs> is. So you obviously know you're more experienced than I am. <laughs> Um, but yeah, look, I I don't think that this current situation is sustainable for for more than a couple of months. That doesn't mean that we won't be endeavouring to um, maintain, you know, as as much of a lockdown as we can. But I just think that's going to end in civil unrest and you know people rioting on the streets. So I uh, I I suspect that possibly we might start to see a a sliding scale in in what we or moving goalposts in what we um, accept as normal. Um, so I mean, I guess the example I always fall back on is is you know climatic change and the the world that we're living in now environmentally is is quite different to to how things were even just ten years ago. So we you know we now see the massive incidents of um, wildfires and floods and in your part of the world you have the cyclones and hurricanes and um, just very, very rapidly changing world. And we don't look at that and go, oh, you know, we have to do, we have to take drastic measures to mitigate this. We know that we need to do things differently, but we kind of don't. We make these half-assed attempts. And I do wonder if um, with the current situation with COVID, if the the threat of the economic collapse is going to outweigh our fear of X percentage of the population not being um, able to receive medical treatment. And if we're just going to have to start accepting um, that's a reality that that some people just don't get treated. Because at the moment, that to us is completely unacceptable and it's inhumane. And I'm not, I'm not saying for a second that it is an okay choice to make. But, right, but human, humans be, are very good at yeah moving moving the goalposts. So yeah, look, I don't know. Well, it but, might become a matter of necessity. It's not that anybody wants it or thinks that it is okay, but there is a reality that um, this could overflood our healthcare system and ability to care for everybody that could be infected. That's just a fact. Yeah, it's at least just, as I, I understand it. it. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I just wonder if at some point. Um, there's going to be decisions made that are prioritising some protection of the economy over um, all the possible health care we could otherwise give. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's just a, in, in, an interesting time, and I don't think anyone can predict it, and certainly no one was prepared for it. Um, yeah. So an interesting development has happened as you and I have been chatting. I just got a message, like literally right now, from my ex-wife, and it's very topical. Um, I'm just going to read it. My mom's secretary at her office has COVID-19, um, and they've been, you know, sharing things. So uh, 
yeah, and my my daughter's been over at her house and all kinds of stuff. So the virus just hit very, very much home for me uh, right at this moment. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that, mate. That's yeah. uh, it's a bit unnerving. But I don't know if you've you've read the this the figures now. They think that 83 to 86 percent of infected people are walking around without symptoms. So I think yeah. that there's now an understanding that far, 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 far more people are infected than we realized. And well, that's the thing is that if without testing, um, sure. yeah, that's you don't know how many. I mean, nobody knows what the numbers are to even theorize as to what anything could be. I mean, everything's kind of up in the air. Yeah. Um, Emma, I am going to pause on this and actually <laughs> call her uh, to sure. address this situation yeah. really quick. Yeah, so I am now drinking for real. Oh, jeez. <laughs> uh, so I guess just to catch everybody up, including you, um, I just took a break to uh, call uh, my ex-wife and find out what was going on. So apparently her mother works at a massage parlor, a legit one, like, and <laughs> um, uh, her coworker just got a confirmed case of COVID-19 today. And uh, her mom was working with her as of two two days ago, so it's not clear, uh, w- you know, if she has it. Um, but my daughter was sleeping in my grandma or her grandma's bed yesterday, so and then she was over here today. Um, so I've been calling people that I've. Uh, well, luckily, I've only had contact with my family, luckily or unluckily, but we have been trying to avoid, you know, people and places. So I had to call a couple members of my family and let them know. And basically what we've decided is, um, at least for me, and I've told them the same thing, is as of this moment, we are self-quarantined for 14 days. So welcome to quarantine for me. <laughs> I don't know. So I, I'm curious to get this just became very real for me. Uh, what what advice? I mean, there's no uh, there's nothing else we can do, is there in terms of we just have to wait it out. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's there's every chance that if if there are a bunch of you ha- who have been exposed, then there's every chance that you won't show any symptoms anyway. So it's not a matter of feeling well or whatever. Um, and yeah, you can't you can't kill the virus. Um, it's just got a 14 day latency period. And yeah, it's all you can yeah. do. Minimize your yeah. exposure to other people. And um, if you do, um, if you do have to go places, even if you're not coming into contact with people, it's good to sanitize your hands before you touch a doorknob and all that sort of thing so you're not leaving a a trail as you go because I think um, the virus can stay active in droplets outside the body for a few hours I think it is Um, Mm. yeah well I won't be going anywhere Um, yeah there I even before I thought I might you know, I mean, up until this moment right now, even I went to the bike shop. It was the only place I've went in like the last three days, but I really needed rim tape to build up a wheel because I just got the dynamo. And I obviously that was a top priority and <laughs> willing to risk my health for this rim tape. 
Um, so anyway, uh, I went to the bike shop and I had my glove, my mountain bike gloves on <laughs> went in there, and they were laughing at me, but I was like, I'm not fucking around, man. I'm taking this shit seriously. And, uh, man, I've been, I've, I've been telling friends that I feel like chicken little that I've been going around, especially with my friends and family and just really, um, encouraging them to take this very seriously. And when my ex-wife was here earlier to pick up Sloan, she's like, come on, Sloan, we're going to, we got to go to the grocery store. And I was like, what are you doing? No, uh, leave her here and go to the grocery store if you need to. But, um, there's just as, as much as like the city has done a good job of like, uh, keeping people out of bars and restaurants and schools and stuff like that, large public gatherings. Uh, we still need people to just stay home if you can and don't touch things. Um, and, and, and also like minimize your contact with other people. Like, I don't know. Anyway, I'm kind of going on a little bit of a, I'm just processing it as it it's all like happening. Like it's, it's crazy to think that as I was talking it through with her, it, it it occurred to me that I have to give us the same advice that I would give anybody, which is you don't have a choice. You don't know if you're infected and you don't have a way of knowing if you are. So the only option is for all of us to self quarantine and to call the people that you've come in contact with and make them aware of that. And they should also make the same choice. I mean, am I right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's all you can do. And they don't, um, I'm sure the situation is the same in the U S but in Australia, they, they won't test you. Doesn't matter if you are showing all the symptoms. Um, it's only if you have travelled from overseas recently and have been in close contact with a known confirmed case. Otherwise, they won't test you. So you, you know, if you're if you're healthy, there is absolutely no chance that you're going to get tested. And in any case, it shouldn't affect what you do anyway. You know, the the only um, there's no cure. There's um, just prevention of spread and and wait out the time period um, for it mm. to, to leave your body. All right. Well, here we go. I guess I'm going to be uh, <laughs> at home and doing a lot more podcasting. Uh, it could be really efficient for you. It could. I, well, I was texting a friend earlier because I've already been in self-isolation. I, I took it past uh, social distancing um, a, a, aside from watching my girls um, and stuff. But um yeah, so I've been very productive. I've got a lot done, um, and I guess that's going to ramp up. <laughs> My uh, house is looking really clean, so. <laughs> well, good, good. <laughs> um, you have a lot of time to chase spiders around the house. Oh, man, yeah. All right, well, listen, uh, let's not make the whole thing about the coronavirus. Um, you know, it is what it is, and if I have it, it is what, it, you know, I mean, just going to wait it out and do the right thing and encourage everyone around me. And again, all y'all fuckers out there, y'all stay home, please. Yeah. So, Emma, you are a bike packer extraordinaire. That's your title, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, I like to go by that. I've got it on my business card and stuff, you know. So, uh, could you give us just like a brief history of your, uh, what is the word I'm looking for? Like your personal history in cycling uh, briefly, or is it too stacked? <laughs> Uh, no, it's not stuffed at all, actually. Um, do you want me to go back to when I first started with bikes in general or bikepacking it exclusively? 
Well, I mean, I think it's interesting to see people's progression. I mean, not like from when you were a kid, but, you know, at some point in all of our progressions, cycling really sunk its teeth into you, whether it was road racing or whatever. I, it's always fascinating to see people's per- personal progression in cycling, you know, and how they got to bike packing. Sure. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll give it a few minutes because it's, it's short, short on a calendar, but it's a little bit interesting and possibly surprising for you. No, um, hit me with it. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I only started riding about be coming up to about six years ago now. Like I learned to ride as a kid, um, but I hadn't touched a bike since I was, you know, eight. And um, it just so happened that a friend of mine runs uh, mountain bike stage racing events in Tassie. And um, while I was uh, writing up a PhD thesis, which any um, student can attest to is a, a horrible chapter of your life, um, <laughs> I there were all these hobbies that I wanted to take up, but I had no money, I had no time, and mountain biking was something that I'd always wanted to do. Um, I thought I'd really enjoy it, but yeah, I just couldn't justify it. And it just so happened that uh, I was doing a just a casual multi-sport event thing with friends, just a really low-key thing. And this friend of mine um, who runs the mountain bike events heard that I was doing it and rigged the spot prize so that I would win an entry into one of his mountain bike um, (laughs) racing events. I've actually never discussed this with him, but that's definitely what happened. Um, So, yeah, I was faced with this this choice. It was about – May or June and this event was in November and it was a four-day stage racing event and I was faced with this choice of do I pass up this opportunity or do I somehow find the money to buy a bike and teach myself how to ride in a short period of time and and race this thing you know race in quotation marks mm-hmm. um and yeah so I did that I I got got myself a little dual suspension bike and and taught myself to ride and what was the event give us a breakdown on like mileage that you did per day uh oh look it was just a um it was like a cross-country stage thing so it was called the hellfire cup um unfortunately it doesn't run anymore but it was a eight stage event but so it was only four days so roughly two stages per day um it was oh look it probably was 60 to 80 k's a day but you know it was short, short, sharp, lap-based. Some stages, some stages were adventure stages, um, and I was terrible, of course. But you know, I had a lot of fun. Yeah, um, well, that's what I was going to ask: is how was that first introduction to mountain biking? <laughs> did oh, did it bite you right away, or did it take some time to really get a hold of you? Um, no, look, I I I loved it immediately. Um, I found it frustrating to. You know, I could I could get on a bike and ride in a straight line and not fall off, but that was about the extent of my skills. So I did find myself wishing that I had continued to ride from from being a kid. You know, I didn't have to put training wheels on, thankfully. Um, but yeah, look, I was pretty bad, and I had the first six months of well, probably the first twelve months of mountain biking, I crashed so much because um, I yeah, I just don't have great balance, and I'd always have low speed crashes, and I went straight to very quickly I went to clip in um, pedals. So, mm-hmm. you know, there are a lot of tears there. Um, were you but, athletic prior to getting into all this uh, or were you, were you more studious and so you were looking to experience some different hobbies and stuff outside of your comfort zone? Oh, no, look, I was always – I mean, I've never – I still don't consider myself athletic. Um, 
But oh. <laughs> I've always done stuff outside. Like Tasmania is a very – I have I was born here. I've lived in various places, but I keep coming back here. Um, oh. It's a very outdoorsy sort of place. You know, you're always – you're always hiking you're always I, I used to do a lot of um scuba diving and surfing and um I used to sail dinghies um so I've always been I guess oh, around cool. sports <clears throat> yeah. yeah um okay yeah so I was on mountain bikes and then about 12 months after that I bought myself a roadie just for fitness as people do and yeah road bikes are gross but they <laughs> it's easier to go it's easier to go a long way on them and I in my mountain biking I was doing kind of normal <laughs> normal mountain bike distances and then I got on the roadie and I started doing um like longer and longer rides and um we have all sorts of events in Australia not races but you know personal challenges and I was doing um like 240k rides four and a half thousand meters of climbing and just didn't find it that hard um I think probably because I'm a small small person I could just keep going and I just really enjoyed riding all day um, and then the bike packing thing didn't happen until uh, mid 2018. So what are we now? Just just under two years ago. Um, yeah. And there's a um, an event or a race in Australia called Race to the Rock, which is uh, an event that's I think happening for the maybe the fourth time this year. And the route changes every year. The only common thing is that it uh, finishes in the centre the dead centre of Australia um, at a place called Ayers Rock or Uluru. And that year the uh, the route was starting at the southern tip of Tasmania, so, you know, on my doorstep. Mm-hmm. And um, I heard that this was happening. I'd never been bikepacking before. I knew what it was because I'd sort of, I, like I'd started following, um, you know, some social media accounts. I'd watched a few uh, races, um, you know, uh, Trans Am and, tour divide sort of races online and and I thought it was a cool a cool concept to just move across the country under your own steam mm. and then when this came up um I sort of sort of did the same thing again I had no bike no gear had never been bike packing and it was in about June July and the ride started on the 1st of September and I was like oh yeah yeah I can do that <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, how I, ma- set up the race real quick i mean how many miles is it again did you mention uh, or kilometers i'm sorry sorry i'm gonna have to talk kilometers yeah it's um no, 3600 k's that year um okay. and it's it's almost entirely off-road um that's yeah that's the common thing so it's it's pretty you go through in tassie we started in very very deep snow and finished in the middle of the australian desert uh so oh, nice yeah, okay, yeah, that's, so. that's 2,236 miles, if anybody wow. was wondering, and I was. So that's, <laughs> sure. that is almost, I mean, that's right under the Tour Divide link. That's 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 a real, for your first one, that you're a bit off a of booger there. Yeah, well, I hadn't, I guess the, the thing that makes it even more hilarious is that, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't try bikepacking to see if I enjoyed bikepacking because I didn't have any gear or a bike that I could put gear on and I didn't know anyone who did bikepacking in in Tassie so I couldn't just borrow and everyone's bikes are too big for me anyway couldn't borrow anything so I sort of had to commit to I thought that I'd probably enjoy it even if I didn't enjoy the racing thing if I didn't do that I'd still use the gear so I set myself up as as cheap as possible as as I could with all the the eBay specials and um I went for a, a weekend ride um I, I used my gear 
you know, once. I slept outside once. I didn't die. And then, yeah, I rode across the Australian continent. And I didn't die then either. <laughs> so that's how I got into bikepacking. Oh, man, I have so many questions. How how was it? I mean, what was, yeah, t- take me through the, your first experience uh, with, it sounded like very, very little experience bikepacking, obviously, going into it, <laughs> doing, uh, for us Americans, 2,200 miles. And we haven't got into the terrain of Tassie yet, but um, it's it's it, it looks pretty rugged. It doesn't look like a walk in the park. Yeah, so the, the Tassie section of it was only, um, you know, Tassie's only a small island. Um, that was only, sorry, I'm going to talk Ks. Um, that was only a bit over 500 kilometres, but it had close to half the elevation just in that short stretch. Um, and then Tasmania separated from mainland Australia by Bass Strait, a big 200 and something kilometre stretch of water. So you had to either fly um, commercially or get on a boat to to make that crossing um and then the terrain changed throughout uh the australian continent as you can imagine because you're going quite a long way um but i guess yeah because everything was it was literally completely new to me i had no idea what to expect and i couldn't compare it to anything so it's difficult to say you know how it stacked up to my expectations because i didn't Mm. really have any but it was it was a massive learning curve um, I, I was never really concerned about my physical uh, ability to do it because for me, riding and just continuing to ride is that's the easiest thing in the world. You just mm. you just do it. There's there's nothing that stops you doing it. it you just yeah. pedal. Um, but yeah, I think the thing that I found probably the most challenging was just just dealing with. Um, dealing with your gear, dealing with, you know, packing it up and down every day. As happens to a lot of people, my hands turned into like crab claws and so just operating mm-hmm. my bags. And and I, I learned a lot of stuff um, about being – just taking things slow and being patient with myself because I'm a very highly strung type A personality and I get, <laughs> I get frustrated when I'm not performing not to anyone else's um, – yardstick but you know right. to my own, to, to my own expectation that's well. the one that matters or should yeah, matter. yeah, absolutely yeah so i mean in theory this thing was a race um i think there were uh, i don't know there were about 10 of us who started and four finished and i was one of them and i was last but wow. i wasn't at any point checking on where anyone else was because it was completely irrelevant to me it was yeah, just my yeah. my trip um but i do remember thinking when I got to the very end when I, I pulled I pulled into Uluru um, just as the sun rose in the middle of the, the Aussie outback, which was pretty spectacular. And I remember thinking, hey, I feel like I'm just about ready to go bikepacking now. So, oh, no. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, I'm, just, it was, it was... I'm just mad at you right now is what it's actually <laughs> going on. Like you go 2,200 miles and you're like, yeah, I'm warmed up. Let's get the engines going now. I don't know. I guess or, you just yeah, you learn what works and um and where do you mean that you after twenty two hundred miles you now have the experience to actually feel like you're you're confident or capable to actually go out and, and have a pretty good bikepacking experience? Or was it yeah, both? I, I don't even mean a, a pretty good bikepacking experience. I mean I just felt I felt like I had the experience to actually just go for a weekend trip now, you know? Um I didn't and and even even after that, even when I got home, it still took me another probably six months of just doing day trips 
just to feel I don't know to feel to, to feel like I backed myself enough to just go and that I know that sounds crazy because I, mm. I rode across the continent but yeah. it's it's different when you have when you've been given a route and so the route had been the 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 nature of that ride that particular year was the the route had been it was deliberately untested so no one had any idea what whether the route even worked um but yeah i mean it it was oh that y'all were guinea pigs uh yeah but it's kind of it's a little bit of a it's a weird vibe race to the rock it's a little bit um it's got a bit of a hipster vibe that that was a big selling point for it that year that it was deliberately untested um and it was meant there was a lot of anti-marketing around it saying you shouldn't do this it's so hard um you know you've got Mm -hmm. 400k between resupply there's no you know there's no one out there you're going to die um but i guess i guess coming from tasmania which is a small place but has a lot of um very remote wilderness that aspect of things didn't really bother me too much um yeah. yeah, you realize that most people would be intimidated by that, um, myself included. I mean, uh, going that far without resupplies, Australia being, I mean, I've never been there, but I, I did talk to Caden uh, Henley Phillips, who I don't know if you saw that story, but uh, Kate ran or is it Katie? Oh, geez. I'm sorry, Kate or Katie. Um, <clears throat> she ran across uh, the continent of Australia and uh, Henley Phillips her partner supported her on a bicycle. Um, so I got a, a good feel for how remote and isolating it can be <laughs> out there. And I mean, for your first time, I'm just curious how you approached the, why weren't you, why weren't you more concerned? Was it out of uh, confidence <laughs> from past experience or just uh, ignorance to not knowing what you were getting yourself into? And no offense by saying ignorance, but. No, no, no that's so good. Um, you never I, know till you know, right? Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, so it certainly wasn't ignorance. I I know what I know what Australia is about, um, and I knew what to expect, even if I hadn't necessarily experienced that. Um, and it definitely wasn't confidence in my experience because I had none. But I did make sure that um, I did a lot of research on gear when I was setting myself up. So, you know, uh, it's very fortunate that I, that everyone these days has, has access to all these forums you control through and reading other people's gear lists. And, you know, I researched getting, you know, getting a rain jacket that was going to keep me dry and, and all that sort of stuff. So I, I set myself up with gear that wasn't necessarily, you know, the fancy expensive stuff, but I knew, I knew should keep me safe. Mm. Um, and, yeah, for me that was the the logistic side of things was the most intimidating. The biggest hurdle was getting getting the stuff, getting it on the bike, and starting starting riding. And the right. rest, I figured out that you know I had all the time in the world. If something went wrong, theoretically I should have the gear to, um, you know, to 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 keep myself safe. And and it might just take time. And that's I had all the time in the world. I had nowhere to be. Um, so the actual the you know the resupply challenges um i i'd done my logistics planning i'd done my due diligence and sometimes stores that were meant to be open wouldn't open and that sort of thing but you know i knew basically the longest stretches i'd have to to go without food and water and um 
I have no idea how to fix anything on bikes, but I also know <laughs> that um, I'm so light on my gear. Um, and particularly once you get into the more remote areas of Australia, it's just flat. It's deadpan flat and it's just exhaustingly boring. Um, and the chances of something catastrophically going wrong with your bike is right. so low because you're just, you're just cruising along. Um, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So I don't know. I think it was just um, I, I backed my ability to troubleshoot and problem solve, I suppose. Um, and that's probably just a, a bit of an arrogance thing because I know that, you know, I've got my head screwed on okay-ish. Um, and, yeah, probably the biggest the biggest challenge that I had was um, just purely a, a mental thing. There was one particular day that was – it was hot. It was just really slow. We were going through um, – there's, there's big areas in Australia that are just open cattle, I say grazing, there's no grass, so I don't know what cattle are doing, they're just there. Um, yeah. So it's Eating beetles. Yeah, something like that. Um, so That's just so picture weird. big, big red sandy dirt with like big chunks of rock embedded in it and it's mm-hmm. deadpan flat and then suddenly you'll sort of have these little rolling rises that you try and – you try and scoot up, but it's just a dead surface. So you're you're trying to power climb everything, and then you're going downhill doing eight k's an hour, and it's just it's just slow. You know, it's it's corrugated, it's soft, it's chunky. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd had a day like that, and um, I'd had a really early start, like a I don't know, two or three a.m. start, and it was really hot, and I knew that was one day where I wouldn't have a resupply until the next day so I'd have to stop somewhere arbitrarily and I knew there was going to be a, a like a billabong a natural water hole en route that I could rely on and so I got oh my there. gosh a billabong <laughs> yeah, I just learned exist. something there's a there's a brand uh <laughs> billabong clothing that was, was yep. really popular in the 90s uh okay so a yep. billabong is what is a, is a natural uh, natural oasis in the desert kind of yeah it's just a uh, it's basically the Australian term for a water hole um oh. and yeah. A billabong. Billabong, that's right, yeah. Oh, I love that. All right, sorry to interrupt, but that was quite <laughs> interesting. No worries. Um, so, yeah, I got I got myself to this um, this water supply and, you know, drank drank the water and I was fine. I was I was definitely – I had heat stroke, which I knew, but it, I was okay. Um, and I, it just everything hurt and I was just a bit emotional because I was overtired and I tried to – it was only sort of 4 o'clock in the afternoon and I should have slept then because that was a hot time of day, but I couldn't sleep in the day. Like it's just something I can't do. And I think it comes with experience. You, you learn to just sleep when it makes sense as opposed to when your body wants to. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I just remember riding off after that and riding into the next evening and I just got to a point where – I just couldn't bring myself to keep pedaling. Like I was fine. The bike was fine. There was nothing wrong, but mentally I was just so sick of the thing I was doing. And I do remember thinking I'm never going to get out of here because I can't bring myself to get out of here. Uh, and that was a bit, yeah, that was pretty confronting for me then. Like if now I'd have no problems because I've just done so much of this stuff now and it just doesn't happen like that. But, um, but, yeah, that was a bit daunting because, yeah, I just remember thinking, oh, I'm, I'm going to be stuck here forever for no reason just <laughs> because I'm too, you know, I'm too mentally weak to get myself out. Um, but, yeah, I just I just had a sleep and then I 
woke up at one o'clock in the morning and ate dry Milo and uh, rice bubbles out of a Ziploc bag because that's what I had for food, and mm-hmm. I was good to go again. <laughs> Delicious. <laughs> but, well, isn't, yeah. isn't that the neat thing about bikepacking? Isn't that what um... – uh, there's a level of that, that that definitely is there that I think a lot of people experience as you find yourself in those positions and then you're like, oh, wait, it's actually fine. I just needed yeah. to sleep, need a little bit of food, and here we go yeah. again. Yeah. And once and you I know think, that, then you know it. Absolutely. And that's I, – I really – I mean, it was, it was obviously an amazing experience to be able to do a trip like that, but I really, really appreciated um, – just just being able to learn those sort of things. So so learning that if stuff seems insurmountable, have a sleep and it's almost certainly going to be better. And if it's not better, eat as much sugar as you can and you know, trick <laughs> trick your brain and body into into going into some different state. And I also learned all sorts of things about um about when when it would work for me to sleep because I'd always assumed I'm a real night owl. Um I do my mm-hmm. best work at 3 a.m. and I always assumed that I would happily ride into the night and ride until the early hours of the morning and stop then but I found that and I still to this day I get really sort of I get a bit weird and sad when the sun goes down particularly Hmm. if I've started riding in darkness at the beginning of the day so if I'm riding from darkness to darkness I get kind of panicky as the sun's going down and Hmm. I don't know I can't explain it but um I learned that it was better for me to just stop and then get going again at midnight. And it took me most of the ride to figure out that that pattern worked best for me. And it doesn't mean that my normal sleeping patterns at home ha- have changed. Like I still don't go to bed till 12, right. 1 a.m. Um, so you're yeah. saying it, the sun goes down, you go to sleep, and then you wake up at 12. So you sleep from like 6 or 7 or wh- whenever the sun goes down till midnight, and then you get up and ride through the night there? That. Yeah, I mean, it's more like um, it was more like sort of eight or not, you know, eight eight thirty at okay. that time of year. Um, but yeah, it just works a lot better for me. And also because, particularly um, when you're in Central Australia in the desert, people think of that as being, you know, hot. And it is most of the time in the day. But at night, it can get down to minus four, five oh, sorry, yeah. degrees Celsius. Sorry, um, <laughs> whatever that is, but well below know. freezing. It's cold. Yeah, well below freezing. Um, And particularly just there's sort of about um, a half-hour period just before the sun comes up where the temperature just plummets. Like it's really weird. It gets really cold just before the sunrise. I found it was a lot better to be moving through that time because if you're stationary, if you're asleep. And the other thing is when I get get tired, like if I'm really pushing the envelope and um, I'm, you know, just all over fatigued, Unfortunately, I get these really bad night sweats, and I think it's not that uncommon, um, but I'll get these drenching night sweats. So I might have the best gear in the world, but if you're if you're getting your gear wet from the inside out, it's a pretty potentially a dangerous um, place to be in. So, um, yeah, I was trying to avoid being asleep when it got to its coldest point. And yeah. that still happens now, but it's actually – it seems to be better well, I suppose it makes sense. It's better in a colder environment. I have less of the sweats, but that's just a fun, mm. disgusting fact about about me that your listeners <laughs> probably never wanted to hear. Oh no, it's, I mean, I don't know. We all. The point is that we all have our uh, we all have our things, and there's not one right way to do it. And figuring out your sleep schedule and and what works for your body and yeah. 
you know, that's that's kind of the interesting puzzle, right? Um, yeah. And it, it really is interesting. So we all have our, our things that we, we work through, but um, that's kind of the fun part. So that uh, Race of the Rock, your first event, how many days did it take you to finish? So it was 19 total, but two days I wasn't riding. Um, because that's fast. Seven, yeah, so it was about 200 a day, 200 kilometers Jeez, a day. That's solid. That's so <laughs> oh, good. Thanks, were you mate. really, were you really like stoked on yourself afterwards? I mean, I'm not gonna downplay that. Uh, <laughs> that's, I mean, for your first uh, bikepacking event uh, ride, that distance, um, that's that's pretty impressive. Yeah, how, were you like, damn, I did something? Uh, no, actually, I wasn't. To be honest, um, I wasn't. I wasn't disappointed or, or pleased either way. I was just like, I was, I was, I was proud of myself for for doing it, for for getting it done, and and not so much about the. I don't actually think it's a, a big achievement. I think literally anyone can get on their bike and and ride. Like it's you're just riding. But I was proud of myself for those few moments where I I pulled. I did pull myself out of these mental constructs that I've that I'd back myself into. Um, and that was, you know, that was purely on me, but they were quite difficult. I just remember them being quite difficult chapters. Um, but yeah, the distance thing, um, I don't know. I, I didn't know. I thought that was sort of about ballpark of how long it would take. I'd allowed myself, um, like a couple of extra days, you know, I wasn't going to get fired from my job or anything. So that was, that was good. (laughs) Um, but I could have done it. I mean, apart from the, the days I didn't ride, they weren't, intentional rest days the, f- the first one was um as i mentioned the only way to get from you know island tasmania to the mainland is to fly or to take a, a boat and i had just always wanted to i just decided i wanted to take this this ferry across that was just the way it just felt right for me um for doing a you know an overlander trip it's just it's what i wanted to do and mm-hmm. the boat left at i think 7 30 p.m um and so it was kind of uh, a bit of a no one knew if anyone would be able to make that um, that ferry. We started on a Saturday morning and it was a Sunday night. No one knew whether we'd be able to make that ferry. And as it turned out, it just wasn't feasible because the route went through all sorts of very, very, very cooked um, hiker bike, you know, lost, getting lost sections, and there was all the snow. But I did, I did have a bit of a, a run on that early. So I think I arrived in the end. I arrived a bit after midnight. So. I knew I wasn't going to make the boat, but for the first day and a half, I was pushing for that. And so I actually rode, <laughs> that was the other thing. So I rode without sleep for 43 hours through the Whoa. snow. Um, well, it just seemed, because I wasn't used to, you know, bikepacking and gear and stuff. It just seemed like more effort to to stop than it was uh, to keep going. Interesting. Um, yeah. So Did you have an all or nothing approach to it? Like... <clears throat> I, the first I've only done one event and actually today I was supposed to participate in my second ever bikepacking race, the Grand Gravel oh, 500, oh. <clears throat> but it's all shut down with the coronavirus and everything. And um, there's a few people that went off uh, grassroots, but I'm home quarantined, which apparently is where I should be. Um, but yeah, I mean, like where you uh, did, you can go in with a strategy of I just want to finish. Or you can be like, you can go in with the strategy of I want to push myself to do the best I can. I'm sure there's other strategies, but you know. Well, that's, I mean, my strategy in life is always, I just want to do the best I can. Uh, that's, I sound like a massive wanker saying that, but it's just, I have high expectations <laughs> of <don't>. myself. <laughs> um, 
We should yes. all strive to do the best that we can. <laughs> that, that is absolutely what we should be doing with the whatever time, talents, opportunities that we have. We should strive to do the best that we can with those. Those are gifts. So yeah. you don't sound like a wanker. You sound like a, <laughs> that's what you should be doing. You're accountable to that, right? Yeah, look, thanks. I appreciate that. Um, but yeah, that was my, I wasn't trying to go uh, as fast as I could or to, you know, match the speed of anyone else or to hit a certain you know, time goal or anything. I just, I wanted to feel like I had had my best run at this thing that I could. But having said that, I did, um, once I got like right into the guts of Australia where the towns were spaced by roughly sort of uh, 200 to 250 kilometres, apart from the the few remote stretches, that was kind of the convenient spacing. And so I, I purposely would hop between towns so that I could stop in a town and, um, you know, not just to resupply, but also just to get a, a little bit of a, you know, I was traveling. I was mm-hmm. I was having a holiday. So it just seemed crazy to not, um, you know, try and try and appreciate and um, experience, experience what was out yeah. there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I guess I, I sort of scaled things back a little bit at, at that end because I was somewhere that I'd never been before and somewhere that I may never have the opportunity to travel to again I just wanted to make sure that I, I made the most of the opportunity to be in this you know really right. remote part of Australia well and that can be that's what I was saying is that can be part of your personal goal is to it doesn't always have to be about the time it can also be about taking the time to enjoy certain places along the route I mean it can yeah. be whatever you want it to be so um, yeah. again the measuring stick is yours and you get to hold it up however you want to um, and create the event that you want yeah absolutely. well that is a great introduction, I would say, into <laughs> you, into bikepacking. Um, how I found out about you, I don't know if you know this or not, but I found out, uh, obviously, about you on Instagram. And I found out when somebody shared one of your stories from when you were doing Tassie's Gift. Uh, and this yeah. was back in November 2019. I don't know much about this at all. I know I haven't researched at all, so I'm looking forward to hearing your side of it. But just from my perspective... Um, I find out about you on Instagram. I'm following along. All I see is pretty rough terrain, lots and lots and lots of rain. And (laughs) your Instagram stories were just so entertaining, so on point. What I really loved was how much fun you were having. And it, from at least from my, and obviously it's Instagram, so it might've been totally different. But uh, my perception was, is that the conditions were pretty tough and you were having a jolly old time just going along, uh, riding your bike. So yeah, I'd love to hear your side of uh, Tassie's right. gift. Maybe tell us what it is. Uh, I'd love to hear more about it and um, and your experience therein. Um. So yeah, the the Tassie gift. Uh, I don't I don't know if you're aware of this, but um, the Tassie gift is a it's a brand new um bikepacking route. It's very 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 underground. Um. It was run as an event for the first time in November 2019, and um, I was actually I actually made the route. <laughs> um, so it was in collaboration with a, another local guy um, who had been wanting to put on a, a bikepacking um, event or make a bikepacking route in general in, in Tasmania for some time. Um, and so we sort of worked collaboratively on it, and then he just gave me his blessing to make it bigger and, and nastier and turn it into a, <laughs> an event. Um, so, yeah, so it's it's got its own, um, you know, social media pages, but it was just 
it's very low key. Um, and so, yeah, the November should be a good, a relatively good time of year in Tasmania. So, you know, we're on the other side of the world. So it's the last month of spring um, okay. f- for us. Uh, so in Australia over summer, we do get some pretty bad bushfires. So you tend to avoid going deep into the bush in the middle of summer. Um, and in winter in Tassie is pretty brutal. We happen to, for this grand depart, we happen to have, I think it was about three consecutive one in 50 year weather events. Um, <laughs> so we actually, we three consecutive. From, yeah. Yeah. So, are are um, you being hyperbolic or is that literal? No, no that's literal. Um, oh my I gosh. Mean, yeah. So like I like was a scenario where you're just like, okay, well, whatever. <laughs> Yeah, I mean the the route intentionally. Um, oh look, I'll tell you a bit more about the route first. It's um, sure. yeah, so I can't. You have to do the conversions for me, but it's it's about eighteen hundred kilometers. So this is in Tasmania, a very small island, but it's a lot bigger than you'd realize. Um, so particularly eleven hundred. Yeah, cool. Okay. What you told me earlier about yeah eleven eleven eighteen yeah eleven hundred okay. miles. So can you tell me um thirty seven thousand meters of climbing? <laughs> What does that? Thirty-seven. Holy shit! Yeah. Wait, meter to foot, right? Yeah, thirty-seven thousand okay. meters of climbing. Hundred. Yeah, one hundred and twenty-one thousand three hundred and ninety-one. So we'll call it one hundred twenty-one thousand <laughs> feet. Yeah. In eleven hundred miles. Holy shit! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those are real so, numbers, people. Yeah. Um. And and we don't have big um alpine. Uh, we don't have big mountain ranges, so the the highest point in in Tasmania is, sorry, I'm talking k's. Well, it's only it's fifteen hundred meters, so it's not. We don't have you know massive long climbs. It's just really we've got a lot of glacial terrain here, so it's just up and down and up and down. And this route was not. I mean, you can ride flatter areas, but this route was just pretty. It was representative of Tasmania, um, and that's. It's just the sort of riding that I've been doing for the last 12 months in Tassie. Um, it's the riding I love doing. It's yeah. <clears throat> It was taking in some of the really wild areas that people just don't tend to ride because they don't know where to start. Um, and what I do for fun when I'm on my bike is I just burn around and, you know, yeah. take all those <clears throat> take all those goat tracks that no one, no one ever visits because yeah. they're horrible and um, figuring out how to link them all up together. And so the end product is this. Yeah, you've, the numbers are on on paper. They're pretty pretty full on, um, but it's it's kind of like a a showcase of of what Tassie has to offer, and it's just such varied terrain. Um, it's not like that the whole race to the rock experience when you travel for for three days and the terrain gradually right. changes. This is just so dynamic. Um, this is a good and, race for people like me with ADD. They get bored easily. Oh, it's so good. Like, yeah, you just cannot get bored. And also it's hard to get tired because, as in, you know, mentally tired, fatigued, because there's just so much going on constantly. Um, but, yeah, the, the weather thing was just pretty nuts. We basically um, – How many people the, showed up? I'm curious. Uh, so there were so there were eight – eight starters, which was seven more than I expected. Um, <laughs> and there were there were actually only two people who, including myself, who, who finished the full route, but there were a yeah. few more who sort of jumped on and off the route um, as they went, which was really cool. And that was kind of... Yeah, get people out, riding fun. their bikes, yeah. having some yeah. fun. Yeah. And I've also That's heard what you of, want to do whenever you create a route. I mean, 
you know, you just want to get people out there and enjoying it and seeing some of the stuff that, that you've seen, you know, you want to share that. Oh, absolutely. And um, I've heard of, I think I've heard of about 15 people since who have come to Tassie to do some writing and have used some parts of the, the Tassie gift route as like a, a springboard for their own plans and adventures. And that's just really cool. It makes me really, I feel like a proud parent that um, mm-hmm. yeah. people are using that. But um, yeah, for, for this particular event where you saw the series of Instagram stories, um, like it was, you know, I knew what to expect because I put the, the horrible thing together, I guess. I hadn't written the whole thing, but I knew that it would work. So right. probably only about, I think about 60% I'd written. Um, so it was cool because it was still all a new experience for me and I hadn't strung it all together. I just made sure that it, it would work. Um, right. Yeah. You go out and test the area. I mean, I'm doing that right now. I'm developing a route and you yep. look at it on satellite maps and you have a general idea and you go out there and you, you proof it, you, you ground proof it, right. Or ground yeah. truth it, I think is, a, and actually I was doing that this past weekend <clears throat> on another route um and and found myself at a dead end so yeah got to get back to the paperwork but that's that's what you do you just have to go out and you ride it and find out what's actually there yeah yeah because what's on a map is not necessarily what's on the ground and um, it can work both ways i've learned that so many times (laughs) yeah (laughs) so many times (laughs) Uh, part of the fun it is. Oh, yeah. It, it definitely should be part of the fun. Is You need to go in. I mean, unless you got to be somewhere, just go out and explore and, you know, see what you find. Um, so I would love to hear more about your personal mentality going through. OK, it's your baby. Actually, I had an inkling that it was yours. Actually, uh, just recently I saw something posted and I was like, I think she created this route. But um, you're not braggadocious about it. You don't throw it out there that it's, it's yours a whole lot. But I did I did pick up and think that it might be something that you had conjured up. Um, so you knew uh, part of the route, but obviously the weather was unexpected. And I was just so impressed with I mean, you were you were funny, like you were having a good time and being humorous. And uh, I, so I'm very curious, like what you were really going through uh, at, during that event. Oh, look, I mean, what what you see on on the Internet, I mean, that's all legitimate. I guess if I'm in a there, there were. OK, let's start at the beginning. We started yeah. in snow. Um, we had a <laughs> extraordinarily unseasonable. This is the last month of spring. Um, massive snow dump and the first day of the the route takes you up over um, uh, Mount Wellington which is actually pretty significant Um, and there's a big section big long section of hiker bike it's just really rocky it's too steep but then in snow um, it was extraordinarily unrideable so um, I'd never pushed my bike through snow before it was all 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 Mm -hmm. new all fun Um, and so that made a pretty pretty tough first day of it and I think um, a lot of people stopped earlier than they would have expected because they were just a bit they're a bit freaked out by the conditions which is not surprising um everyone had a good time but it was just scary like it was it was howling winds it was really really cold um and that first night i i mean i didn't really know um how long i'd ride each day but i know that i'm quite comfortable riding through the first night um i've done that a few times and it just doesn't bother me but i was up on a um, a pretty high mountain pass at about 11 o'clock at night and it started snowing a lot. And this is not, you know, you've got to remember that we're not equipped for snow 
was writing here. Um, yeah, so it was it was pretty rotten first day, and then that the, the snow kept up. We we moved up into the highlands. That kept up for a few days, and um, you know I made a a couple of choices to to stop early afternoon where I had where I could be inside um, rather than going out onto some really exposed plateaus because there was every chance that I was going to be that person who succumbs to hypothermia and SOS is out of there and I didn't want to be that person. Um, so, yeah, I just I just did everything I needed to keep myself safe. Um, and it was – so then the snow gave way to torrential rain. Gave, this is over a period of days and then gave way to just horrendous westerly winds. So that's coming straight off the Southern Ocean, going the whole way around the earth basically and, and hitting – hitting Tasmania um, mm-hmm. and like 150 kilometre an hour winds and just in, just in, we just got nailed. Wow. And I had the, the worst hail that I've ever experienced living <laughs> living here for 30-something 30, 30 years. Um, and it just kept going and going. And I guess, I mean, for me that it was kind of hilarious. Um, I guess you've either got to have a miserable time and be disappointed with you know how how much more difficult your life is being made because of the weather, or you go, you know what, this is epic. Like mm-hmm. I'm going to remember this forever. Um, and yeah, so I had I had a few moments where I was a bit concerned from a safety perspective because I was for yourself wearing or for all the riders. I wasn't forever. concerned so much about the other riders because I saw um, I tried to get up. I mean, I, I wasn't I I didn't take any sort of leadership role for this. I actually tried to be completely anonymous and not have any association with the yeah. route, but it just became impossible. There had to be someone to answer. Somebody something. asked questions too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, I, you know, it wasn't about me and I was very, very, very clear that this is, you know, this is hard and this is not supported and no one's going to tell you if there's a bushfire or a flood and there's road closures or if there's some bad weather coming, you know. Yeah, yeah it was a really good group of people who had, you know, they were serious about um, – the responsibilities that they had um, taken upon themselves. Um, and, yeah, I saw pretty early on I had a bit of a snoop on um, what they were doing with their tracking and their social media and stuff, and, and they were all making smart choices and stopping in accommodation um, where they felt that they needed to because they didn't want to camp in the snow because they weren't equipped to do it and um, and taking an extra day if they needed. And, and it was it was really heartening to see that. Not that I would have done anything differently anyway, but I felt like they were safe. And mm-hmm. so I only had to worry about about me, and I wasn't right. worried about me. It was just a few a few times I was wearing everything I had, and I, like I was soaking wet for, uh, well, until I could dry my gear somewhere in two days' time. Um, yeah. And so I just I just had to keep my sleep gear dry and and keep a wind keep the wind chill off and um, keep moving and yeah just just manage that risk I guess. Um, it doesn't. I mean, it's Tassie's only 42 degrees south. It's not like, you know, we're not in the middle of the Arctic, but it's just a real. It's very unique cold here, and I think it's because because the wind is coming. Humidity. Oh. No, no, it's dry. It's super dry. Um, oh. So we just have this even really, being right there on the ocean. Yeah, we just have this really biting wind that just cuts through everything, um, and then it gave way to once I hit the east coast of the state because it's kind of like this bow tie loop that heads out heads up through the centre of the island, then heads to the west coast, which is super wild out there. And then it comes back through the centre and heads out to the east coast, which is the um, 
the busier sort of tourist area where people do tend to ride their bikes a bit more. And the East Coast was sunny and beautiful. It was like a you know, tropical holiday. It was typical uh, weather for November. Um, and so we really did have everything. Um, and, yeah, I was just having such a ball riding my bike, the places that yeah. I love to ride my bike. Mm. Um, oh, it's quite entertaining to – not only entertaining, but it was very inspirational to thanks, the, mate. Your, your mental – yeah, j- just your ability to stay – in the moment and have perspective that's the important thing right to have perspective to know that it's raining now but it's not going to rain forever um it's snowing now but it's not going to snow forever so let's just you know do the best we can enjoy what we have and and you know keep moving forward and you just and and for fairness i mean you mentioned earlier being a small person is uh, i actually wrote it down uh, because i was going (laughs) to ask you about it again but uh, you're you're not a large statured person, you know, so whenever I first um, found out about you and you're going through these pretty incredible elements with a very jovial personality and, you know, having fun. And I know I'm only seeing what's on Instagram. I know that behind the scenes, you're really riding your bike and there really are um, high winds and hail and rain and snow and all that. I'm not ignorant to that, but you're you were clearly mentally trying to just keep having a positive outlook and enjoying the moment and accepting what it is for what it is. And you keep pushing those pedals and going forward, you know, and that's, I think that's valuable. You know, I think people can uh, glean something from that. Um, I mean, we are talking, talking earlier about the, the, the state of the earth, you know, I don't sound like a particularly positive person and I'm probably not for, for most things in life, but when I'm on my bike, I just, I feel so fortunate to be, on my bike and and so every even when stuff is really shitty and I'm having a bad time I just remind myself that I'm here because I put myself here and because I chose to be here because I love doing it and so even if I'm not necessarily loving that moment yeah you know that's that's going to end all all bad things pass and and ultimately I'm having just the most amazing time and and how lucky am I to be to be physically able to be out here doing this stuff. Um, oh, indeed. So I On a route that you created through. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, um, I mean that, there's got to be a high element of pride because I know there's a lot of hard work that goes into creating a route and then to get to ride it for the first time must have been pretty exciting. Yeah. Look, I, I love, I love just, uh, yeah, I, I love, I guess I love making routes and, you know, planning stuff for myself. Um, but it was it was satisfying. Like I was so proud of that when I finished. I was like, you know what, that that is hard, but that is so cool, and everything worked so well. And there, yeah, there was so, certainly a, a big element of that. Um, so you made the podcasting news recently. Someone scooped you up because you <laughs> came in second place, I believe, on another new route uh, that was just kicked off. So. Uh, what was that route? And uh, tell me about that one a little bit. Okay, so there's a um, a route in Victoria, which is um, southeastern Australia, but on the mainland. Um, it's called the Victoria Divide. It's uh, I think this year it was about 570 k's, and it it kind of traverses most of that state. It goes up through um, some of the alpine areas, and again, it's off road 
all this stuff I'm talking about is is off road bikepacking. I'm not really into sealed stuff. Um, go go see her Instagram and you'll know what we're talking <laughs> about. It is flooded with good content, so she's yeah. not faking it. <laughs> I do my best. Um, but so that was actually the second year that the Vic Divide has run. Wow. Um, okay, I apologize. Yeah, so that's that's right. Um, so it's run by um, a local guy, Lewis, who has a um, a Lewis Sador. That's right. right. You'd probably know him from Tour Divide fame. 2018, he took out the the Tour Divide. And um, uh, he just started his own podcast. He's is he the ex biking guy on Reddit or ex biking? I don't yeah. know. You'd have to ask him that one. Um, I'm pretty sure but, he's anyway. Go sorry. That's Continue. right. Yeah. So Lewis has just set, set up his own podcast called Overland Archive. Um, that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but he. Yeah, he, so he kicked off this uh, route last year, and I was really keen to do it last year, so the same time of year in March. Um, but to be honest, I just even last year, early 2019, I just didn't have enough confidence in my abilities to, you know, ride hard, ride light on rough terrain. And I know that sounds crazy because I rode across the Australian continent, but, right. you know, this is my learning curve. It's, I didn't feel confident in my abilities. So, um this year, after having confident, uh, uh, confident according to your own expectations of yourself. Yeah. Because yeah. obviously you had the ability, you had the skill, you knew you could slog it out, but it was just you couldn't participate in the way that you felt like you wanted to participate. Exactly. Maybe? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think you're speaking like you um, can empathize with this position. Oh, certainly. I take. Yeah. 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 I, um, I I hold my whole thing is I'm only racing against myself. It's sure. always about my own self. I don't really care much. Other people can add stimulus and excitement and encouragement, um, but ultimately I'm looking for my own test. So yeah, I sympathize. Yeah, cool. Yeah, that's um that's exactly the attitude that I hold towards things, and I just want to be able to do them the way that I want to do them. Um, right. And okay. Yeah, so this this year, um, I just I don't know, with two or three weeks out, I, um, I didn't have much on, and I knew I could take a couple of days off work, so I jumped on, jumped on a plane to Victoria, which is only 50 minutes. People make out like Tasmania is the end of the earth, but it's really not <laughs> that far away. Um, and so I rode this route, and it was it was just so awesome because I'd never I'd never been through any of these areas, and people think that if you're you know, if you're racing, you're not, you know, you're not making the most of things and you're not taking in the environment. But, you know, at the end of the day, you're still only doing, I think I averaged like 14 Ks an hour. It's not like, it's right. not like I was missing things because I was going too fast. Um, right. And yeah, it was just beautiful. It, it took us up through um, the Victorian high country up over Mount Buller. Um, things are quite different on the mainland, um, there's there's a big hut culture. So there's so many huts along the route. So if you want to do it over, you know, five days and just chill out in huts and um, resupply in towns and just do it really casually, then you can do that too. I made the choice to just run really light because it was pretty pretty chunky terrain. Like it was, it was back, exactly back what I'm used and, to. Tassie. Oh, sorry. Yeah? Well, just yeah. – um, what was the route? I mean, how many days was it and uh, where did it go? Okay, so it went from um, basically from Melbourne, the, the capital city in Victoria, to Albury, which is on the, the border between New South Wales and Victoria, two different states. 
Um, it was 570 kilometers. Sorry, kilometers. Oh, I'm um, doing it. I'm doing it. I'm, I, <laughs> <laughs> all right, keep going. And it was, um, I think it was about 12, 11 or 12,000 meters of climbing. Um, so it was pretty much the same sort of um, stats as the Tassie so gift. 354 terrain. miles. That's interesting. That's a that's an in-between mileage where it's like, do you go, do you just try to knock it out all in one go? Yeah. Or do you do you sleep once or something? So yeah, yes. that that's like an, an in-between distance, I would I would think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it's um it has really high participation which is great and I think it is because it is that that you know it's a relatively short distance so people can can take an extended weekend and and do it like that or they can you know take a couple of days of work and that's really cool because there were I think there were about 60 people um at the Grand Depart and not all of them intended to go the whole way some of them were always going to pull out somewhere along the way um I think I was the I was the only person I was aware of who had travelled for, travelled from another state for the Grand Depart, but, you know, not mm-hmm. a lot happens in Tassie, hence why I have to put on my own events. Um, mm-hmm. So so it's no big deal. But, uh, yeah, I knew that it would be, for me, I knew it would be more than one night. Um, I thought it would probably be two full nights or maybe, you know, one and a bit nights. Um, and... I hadn't ridden through two nights before and I wasn't prepared to back myself entirely that I could do that. Not like I knew that I could, but I still wanted to enjoy this thing. You know, mm. again, I was on holidays. I, I was yeah. going somewhere I'd never been before. So I didn't want to have a really miserable time of it. Um, so I did, I did pack light, um, left, you know, some, some sleeping gear at home, but had enough that I could take a few naps if I needed or when I needed and just did it that way. And it's kind of it's kind of cool when you have to travel for something because you can make that call on your gear before you leave the house. And then, you know, you can't back out on that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I chose to leave my sleeping bag at home because ain't nobody got time for that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, look, I, I still had I still had my lightweight BV. And I love that it. option. I love it when people <laughs> say, I'm just going to leave it at home because, yeah, ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and look, I was really stoked to have, have kept my bike light and nimble because it was, you know, there was some rocky stuff. The climbing was, you know, I'm used to the climbing. That was no big deal. But um, we did, it had an amazing amount of single track on it. Like Lewis has done an incredible job with the route. It's, for him, it's a, a real labour of love, like like the Tassie Gift was for me. Um, and it was really cool chatting to him about the process he went through with that route because he has sort of refined it over time. And he did actually have to make some last-minute changes to this year's um, route, which made it different to the, the first year because we had really catastrophic bushfires in Australia over this summer just gone and huge areas um, are still inaccessible because they've basically yeah. been decimated. So, yeah. Um, yeah, there was – I think the last 100 Ks or a couple of 100 Ks was a bit different. Um, and he had ridden and tested all of it. Um, but we had some pretty, uh, there were some pretty rough descents, and I was the, the bike that I ride is a, it's a 650B hardtail, um, 100 mil suspension fork. Um, I run 2.35 inch 
knobby tires and it's just what I run everywhere. It doesn't matter what the terrain is, that's what I run. And mm. that for me was perfect. I've got my flat bars, but there were guys and girls out there on, um, you know, glorified gravel bikes, drop bar bikes with, mm. I don't know, 42 mil tires and geez, it would have been hard. Um, yeah. Yeah. Unpleasant, I think is probably the better word for it. <laughs> well, a- you know, type, type two fun uh, to each their own. I prefer a little bit of a fatty tire myself um, <laughs> because I, I, I like to enjoy it much like you have mentioned. It's like, I, I I like how you made that um, comment about racing versus enjoyment because um, it's something that I'm I'm kind of interested in and it's something I consider. I haven't done enough racing to know, so it was interesting to hear your thoughts on being able to race an event and still meet your own personal expectations of being able to be immersed in the environment and enjoy it and absorb it to the point that you're you're happy with, I guess. Yeah, look, I guess for me, um, for me personally, I've done a, f- I think I've done, I've done four bikepacking race slash events now, and I f- haven't considered myself racing on any of them. I've, I've been moving with a sense of urgency. Um, I have been sleeping less than I otherwise would have. I've been, you know, efficient with the stops that I've had, but I'm not. I'm not riding fast and I'm not, if I want to stop and take a photo of something or go and, you know, pat some cow or, you know, go and check (laughs) out this frog or whatever, I'll do that because it's, you know, it's how, how often do you get to experience these things? And, and there's no, there's no sheep stations. There's no accolades for, for these things. And for this most recent event, the Vic Divide, I have no idea how I came in second because I, I was just riding my bike and, I didn't. I didn't really stop because I didn't need to stop, and the people around me did choose to or did need to stop, and that was the only thing that separated it. But if I ever do well at an event, it's not because I've, um, you know, outraced them. It's they've underraced me more than anything. I think um, <laughs> because yeah, I've only got I've only kind of got one one gear in my legs. I just have a speed that I do, and I can keep doing that speed indefinitely I just don't I don't seem to tire but I'm also not a fast rider and yeah that's that's, interesting what I do my question was as as you were talking about this is like what what do you think is your strength and then also what is your weakness because we all have them but what do you think are we talking bikepacking here? I assume this is not a yeah. deep dive into it. Yeah, okay. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> like as it pertains to riding your bike sure. and, like, you have done well. Um, you're only comparing yourself to your own metric uh, and, and you're doing it for yourself. But you also have results that have been pretty good. Um, so, yeah. Uh, um, my strength would certainly be my, I guess, the way I describe it is, my ability to out cockroach everyone else. I just survive. Um, I, I don't, I can manage my own body very well. Um, I, I can just keep going and I don't need to put, I don't need to actively try and look after myself. I can just ride the best I can and I can keep doing that indefinitely. And I'm very lucky that that's just the way that my physiology has worked out. Um, but my weakness would absolutely be that I'm, terrible from a physical perspective I'm terrible at you know pace changing and I've done I've tried road racing and I hated it and I was pretty 
pretty terrible at it. Like put me on a hill and make me time trial and I'm not too bad. But just just having to, you know, having to ride on someone's wheel and change pace and explosive power and all that sort of stuff, I'm so rubbish. You know, I'm, I'm like the diesel engine that's actually got no horsepower but still takes two hours to wind up. It's just, you know, we're all put together differently and that's the way my body works. Um, something else that I'm wary of that, could potentially be a big downfall for me is is like mentally because I do I do hold myself to high standards so um I don't think I I mean I I could say I put pressure on myself I have expectations of myself and if if I'm not meeting them I probably am prone to to being frustrated um and so I just need to manage um manage my expectations of myself and if things aren't working out the way that I'd hoped, just you know, be patient with myself rather than getting getting angry. Um, and I'm I'm learning that more and more. And I, I love the fact that that this bikepacking is teaching me patience because it's something that I never realised I was so lacking in. Mm. And I guess I've always known that I'm hard on myself, um, but possibly didn't realize to what extent um and and so that's yeah that's something that I I watch out for um but yeah I guess for me with the way that my my body's put together it's a pretty simple equation I don't need to make choices and decisions with how I ride I just ride and that's all I can do and I, I I quite like that that I don't need to think about it so as a scientist do you think that you're approaching it in a way that allows you to okay this is my body. This is what it needs. I'm going to give it this. Um, so have you just learned? Because you're, you're talking about how you can just keep going. Is that a learned thing that you've figured out? Or is it just a physiology, physiological thing that you have, um, you're just lucky? <laughs> <laughs> um, look, it's pro- probably more the latter. I think I am pretty lucky. Um, I guess yeah. you, you learn stuff without necessarily realizing because it's a gradual process. Um I think as soon as I started doing longer rides when I was, you know, just first starting cycling, I guess I kind of displayed an aptitude towards them. And I I don't know, I wouldn't necessarily say that I'm good at riding a long way. I just think that everyone else is bad. They, (laughs) they, well, they, they have something stops whether, whether it's an injury or, you know, they stop because it hurts or they stop because they're mentally tired and just, you know, wiped out by it. Um, so the only difference is I just don't stop. Um, and, and, and maybe that is because I'm really fortunate and my body holds itself together better. Or maybe it's just that I have a, a higher pain tolerance or I have a higher shitty experience tolerance. I don't know. <laughs> um, well, yeah, yeah. And you really, as a scientist, you really don't know. No, Cause I exactly. know you've spent time thinking about this. Uh, there, there's a lot of factors and variables in that equation. Um, you, you haven't quite pen, put a pin on it and figured out exactly what that is. No, no, I haven't. Um, mm. And I don't, I don't think I ever will, to be honest, because how can you know how your experience differs to someone else who's placed um, in the exact same position? You just, you don't mm. know. Well, I think, I mean, the only thing you do is talk to them and try to, sure. you know, Okay, at this point, where were you at? And, and then it becomes even more complicated because 
if you're a different, unless you're riding side by side, you're experiencing different things at different times. The weather's different. The conditions are different. So yeah, yeah, I could see how it'd be difficult to um, really get an understanding for how your experience stacked up to somebody else who you're competing with. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I mean, this is the part of watching you from afar in Instagram land that's been interesting <laughs> is is trying to you you have some mental strength or, and some physical strength that 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 has all come together in this nice little formula to where you just happen to be pretty good at bike packing and bike racing. It's a super super niche market, isn't it though? You know like <laughs> it is right now, but it might not be I, I feel like the tides are definitely growing. When I started this podcast there was like none and now there's like a thousand. So there, Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. There's somebody out there who's listening and there's definitely a lot of people who are keen on bikepacking and finding different ways to experience the world on their bike. There's lots of routes that are popping out. I mean there, there's just a lot going on, so it's very niche kind of right now, but I have a feeling it's it, the tides are definitely turning. Oh, it's a, like it's a super exciting space to to be following, um, whether you're involved or just interested. But yeah, I I know how it, it's hard for me to know how much the you know the terrain has has changed has changed versus what I've just become aware of because I guess I'm a relatively recent sort of adopter. Um, but I, I love how much content there is out there and I, I love learning. I love reading. I love looking at stuff. I love listening. And that's, you know, it's probably the scientist in me, but I, it's just this endless resource. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we're so lucky that we, we have access to all this stuff. So if you want to really, you know, dive in deep into this stuff, there are so many people that you can learn from. Um, and, it seems like a really – there are certainly some egos kicking around, but for the most part it seems like a really supportive, um, you know, open community. And yeah. uh, it's only been very recently that I've realised that anyone out there actually pays any attention to, to what I do with my bike and how I ride, and it actually right. surprises me, to be honest, because no. I wouldn't I wouldn't pay any attention to me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, I do I do my best to, to uh, share that, what... <laughs> that's self-deprecating, <laughs> for sure. Oh, look, yeah, but I don't know. It's At the end of the day, it's just I, I don't feel like I'm doing anything that's remotely, you know, remarkable in any way. I'm... I'm to me, riding a bike is one of the most simple, pure things there is. And particularly yeah. if you're not riding it fast, you're just riding. And oh, I don't know. I just I think this whole thing is just beautiful. You just yeah. you're just going somewhere under your own steam, and you're managing managing your gear, and you're managing your your legs, and you're managing your head. And all you've got to do is pedal, eat, and sleep. Yeah. And I love that. Well, I think that's a perfect uh, or a very good perspective to have and something that people can value from is just realizing, especially now, how complicated the world is, um, how much stuff is going on all the time, how we're inundated from every single angle. We have jobs, we have bills, we have relationships and everything that needs to be maintained. Um, But every once in a while you get to get on your bike and disconnect from all that and, and just go and, and enjoy yourself and have a selfish moment to reconnect with yourself and find out where you're at, um, learn about yourself a little bit, see a part of the world you hadn't seen before. Um, so yeah, I think, I, I mean, I've had a question mark as to what your 
drive was and i think i think i understand it better now is i mean it's it's it, for you it, it's that detachment from everyday life it's your escape it is uh it's it, it can be a very simple thing if you choose for it to be so you can also make it very complicated right sure. um yeah. but but you've chosen to make it uh fun you've chosen to make it a, a, a challenge for sure but it is whatever you make it to be is that fair yeah. i'm kind of putting words in your mouth but no no that's that's a really good summation um i mean without without getting too carried away um i my head is a very busy place. Um, there's a lot going on on there, and it's just always been that way. And I don't, I'm not someone who can sit still. That doesn't mean I've got to be, you know, exerting myself. But I can't. It's not good for me to be not occupying my my brain with something. And and even if I am trying to occupy it, it's it's kind of like this this sliding scale. I'll start doing two things at once. Then it's four. Then there's just you know, it, it gets really chaotic. And I think that the the world we live in and our modern lifestyles certainly doesn't help that situation because we are, you know, inundated with so many things simultaneously. And to me, I, I don't ride as an escape. I hate that sort of, you know, I hate these catchphrases, but I have people do ask me, what do you think about when you ride? You know, you're riding for, for 20 hours. What do you think about, you know, you, do you listen to podcasts? Do you listen to music? And I don't think about anything at all or I do think about something weird and inane and I think about that one thing for eight hours and, you know, my my thought process doesn't have to go anywhere. It just sort of wanders and mm -hmm. it's – I guess it just sort of brings a – being physically tired brings a sort of a stillness to to my own brain that I, I don't tend to get um, through anything else in – in everyday yeah. life and something like, you know, meditation or something, oh, God, that would be the worst thing imaginable. <laughs> it's just not – it's not the way my brain works. Um, so, yeah, it's I, <laughs> I, I like to do this stuff so that I'm not, I'm not thinking and I'm not trying to not think. I'm just not. Yeah. Well, I think <clears throat> it's something that I've realized even a, kind of recently – is how valuable it is to spend time alone and inside your own head and sure. to just check in with yourself and, and, and talk to yourself in your head and not with an agenda, but to be able to just evaluate like what's going on in the world. You know, how do I feel about this? Um, what do I want to accomplish? I mean, what, I mean, anything that pops up into your mind, but going back to being inundated, that's a, that's the thing that I think that a lot of us are missing that I've recently found out about and, and kind of honed in on is is making quote unquote me time um, a valuable part of my life. You know, like how can we determine what we want to do and who we want to be and the way we want to act on a on a daily basis if we're not really checking in with ourselves? Um, are we only being influenced by everybody else and the opinions and the facts and the news and whatever that's coming out or are we taking time to really just get away and 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 reflect on whatever's going on at life in, at that time so i don't is that a, a similar to what you're saying yeah yeah absolutely um and i think another point on that i'd raise is that i think it's really important that people um people's me time as you put it um is 
is something that works for them and and gives them the the space to to think or not think as sure. they need to not not as someone else says so just because right. i like to go and yes. carry my bike for 6 hours yeah. in a swamp <laughs> doesn't mean doesn't mean that's going to be a productive time for anyone else or is a good idea for anyone else right um and for you know by the same token the people who do um find that meditation and yoga you know there's that sort of stillness or self-help books or whatever if that helps them great but you can't just apply this broad brush approach to to everyone and say this is what you wanted this is what you have to do to yeah. reflect and this is how you have to find yourself because i think that's a slippery slope too well i've been on the anti uh broad brush stroke for a very long time going back <laughs> to school and the idea that there is one curriculum curriculum that works for everybody all students i mean it's ridiculous we're all individuals so you know that's why i like podcasts because it breaks down everything right it breaks down social media and this image that you portray um, you get to really hear people's thoughts and perspectives and they're only your own. You're only talking from your own place of experience and what works for you. But the but the overriding message is that this is one space that has worked for me and it has worked for you and other people can find their own way and navigate through it. Um, I actually do meditate and it's something that I'm new to um, and really enjoying it. Uh, it's hard to do with ADD and your brain going crazy. Like I, I, I empathize with what you were saying about with, you know, all the things that are inundating your brain on a constant basis. Um, but I have found value there and I've tried to implement that into bikepacking and going on long rides. And it's just kind of a fun experiment. It's like our brain is receiving so much information on a daily basis from all different directions and i like the idea of trying to shut out everything and and just reconnect with my own brain without any distraction from uh, the outside world but um, i also had a recent conversation with a good friend of mine who i sent some meditation information i bought him a subscription i was like dude you got to check this out uh, and he had a much different response to it than I did. He was like, I would rather just someone say, okay, this is what's going on. I don't need the whole hoopla and the meditation. Like, just tell me what to do or whatever, and I'll do it. And so, you know, again, there's, there's not a broad brush, uh, to paint over this whole thing, but, um, yeah, I certainly appreciate your, your perspective, which is the only one that you can really have. Right. Sure. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, what's better, racing or riding solo? Riding solo. I agree. Uh, not that that matters, but um, <laughs> cooked. You said cooked a couple times in reference to conditions of trails. Yeah. Is this another Australianism? Uh huh. Oh, okay. Um, I never know. Um, so uh, just. Just really, really crappy, slow, horrible trails. Um, it's kind of, yeah. <laughs> Basically, most of the riding I do is I'd consider fairly uh, cooked surfaces. Think of yeah. them as as things that most people would not choose to ride a bike on, um, okay. or certainly would not choose to do it over a long time. Yeah. All right. So let 
First of all, I highly encourage everybody to go check out your Instagram. Uh, no shit. You have one of my favorite Instagram accounts. It's highly entertaining. Um, it, it, it's just actually a really damn good Instagram account. So, and I, I love the name even. So what is the name of your Instagram account? Uh, it's one fluke shot. Um, because your actually, last name is fluke. Flukes with an S. Flukes, but, whatever. You know, one yeah. fluke shot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Your Instagram is full of like all the all the places that you go on a daily basis when you're riding. I guess I have two questions that I'm interested in. One, how do you find all the time to ride? At least from my perception, it seems like you ride your bike a lot. Um, And then two, the places that you're riding are insane there's broken down vehicles everywhere that are vandalized <laughs> there are mining operations i mean you name it uh there there's bushwhacking it's every single kind of thing that you can come in contact with so i'm curious uh is that by choice or y'all just don't have any good routes out there so you're just out there <laughs> making it up as you go like what's going on there oh look that's i think of I think of those as perfect routes. That's that's my idea of a, a good time, I guess. Um, but look, to, so to start with your your first question, um, mm-hmm. I, I you know I work. I've got a full time job. I work nine to five. I, I rat race like like everyone else. Um, I have weekends free, but I also you know try and maintain a life outside of bikes. Bikes are just a hobby to me. You know, I try and maintain a relatively normal relationship and friendship. So I'm not riding every weekend, but that's what I enjoy doing. So I do try and get away for day trips or a couple of days, um, you know, most weekends, but I also don't have um, a lot of life responsibilities. I've intentionally um, orchestrated my life that way. Um, So this, yeah, this, there might be a perception that I'm riding all the time. I'm not, I just make the most of the the time that I do have available, which is generally weekends. Um, Mm. I also don't believe in like content creation where you go and, you know, take all these right. photos and stash them away so you can drip feed your content. So right. if I'm if I'm posting stuff on social media, it's because I'm you know I'm doing it or I did it you know a few yeah. days ago, and it, that's that's my life. It's not content. It's what I'm doing. Um, and uh, yeah, so I suppose I'm. So the 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 routes that are I'm you doing, doing are you doing rides after work though, or is it all weekend? Uh, I do. I mean, I do rides after work, but I don't do these ones that are in like crazy far off places because it takes it takes some time to get there but i mean i could ride out my front door now and be on bush single trail within three minutes it's just it's one of the reasons why i live in tasmania it's just so compact um everything's so accessible which is great um but yeah like the just to take uh an example last weekend just gone i was riding um towards the west coast of tassie it's about a three and a half hour drive so I do often most of the time I'm driving to ride which sounds ridiculous but I don't <laughs> want to spend I don't want to spend a day riding on tarmac I, to get to where I, I do the ride. exact same thing I'm yeah. With you. yeah yeah get to the good stuff yeah so I mean I just um I needed to I wanted to get going early because I knew I had a big day of riding and I wanted to ride in daylight so I well mostly in daylight because the whole point of me riding is to see stuff so I just got up at 1.30 in the morning on Saturday morning so that I could spend Friday night with my partner and have a normal life. Got up at 1.30, drove, rode for 14 hours, slept, rode for another 14 hours and then drove home in time for dinner. So that's wow. just 
you know, that's what <laughs> I consider that, um, you know, that's what you've got to do if you want to uh, to see these places. Um, I love breaking I th- down uh, Instagram versus reality. That's one of my favorite things to do is to be like an antidote <laughs> to this uh, Instagram world, right? Like yeah. podcast is a perfect uh, way to just be like, help people understand that, okay, you have a real job, you have a PhD, you, you know, you did all the things and you work very, very hard to make bikes and doing these adventures a part of your life. It doesn't just happen. You don't just ride out your front door and blah, blah, blah. You know, like it, it takes work. And I, I, I love that, you know, because I just feel like we're starved for that in this world, you know, um, uh, of course, on Instagram, you wouldn't want to put, you know, post a video of you driving 14 hours anywhere. It'd be boring. <laughs> no one would want to watch it. But, you know, it also can create this element of uh, perception where we think that, oh, she lives this great life. She just goes and explores everywhere and everything is great, you know. Um, so anyway, I always enjoy that uh, that part of podcasting where we understand that you're just a real person who likes yeah. riding their bike and, and, and works very hard to be able to do so. That's it. Yeah. And, and that's what, when I say that, I think, you know, anyone, anyone who wants to and has the, the physical capability can, can do this stuff. You just have to, to manage your time and you have to want to do it. And I don't enjoy getting up at one thirty in the morning on a Saturday. Right. Um, but I, I do enjoy riding for an hour and then the sun coming up and feeling like I'm on the absolute edge of the earth and then making it back to some country pub to have a, a, a chicken parmy for dinner. You know, that's, <laughs> that's great. Um, and yeah, it's, it does frustrate me sometimes. Occasionally I'll get um, messages like that. I've got a, a, you know, there's a, a few people who are following me on Insta and I know it's all very manufactured and whatever. And there's a lot of people that, I've formed some great friendships and relationships. Yeah, through. me too. There's such, me too. Yeah, there's really cool people out there, mm-hmm. but I can't keep up with who everyone is. Um, and right. so sometimes I get messages from people I'd consider strangers. You know, I don't know their story, and they'll just be like, "Oh, you know, I do you do you ever do jobs around the house? You're always writing," and it just it frustrates <laughs> me because you know I can I can post the photos of me sitting at my desk and. And here's my dinner. Right. And here's mm-hmm. my, you know, it's raining, so I'm on the the trainer today because, you know, I'd, I'm too soft to go outside. But that's not why people 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 go to these profiles and and see this stuff as, you know, a bit of an escape. People don't, I don't want to see photos of someone's dinner. So why would I right. share mine? You know. Yeah. Um, yeah. You yeah. share the fun stuff. Yeah. yeah it, exactly. For me, Instagram is fun. I exactly. post fun things. Every, I mean, very rarely do I post anything serious. That's not my real life. <laughs> Not even close to my real life, um, but I don't know. I, I there's a lot of reason I like a lot of reasons that I like podcasts, um, namely just really having a conversation with somebody. Okay, you want to race? How'd you get there? You know, what did it take? Okay, yeah. you're five foot two. You have a you know that that makes it a little bit more challenging to put all your bike on your gear. How'd you do it? <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it's just. Uh, there's people out there that there, there's a big disconnect between wanting to do something and actually doing it. And there's a lot of social media floating around that distorts the perspective of, oh, well, Emma, she's just staying at home all the time and riding her bike. And that must be nice for her. No, that's not the case. You know, it's like we're all out there 
um, struggling. And like, okay, a good example is, um, I don't know if I can put her on blast. Um, no, I'll put her on blast, but like, I mean, I've talked to Lael Wilcox. I've talked to Alexander Houchin. I've talked to Kurt Refsnyder. I've talked, I mean, all kinds of people. Um, uh, the one I was thinking of is Pepper Cook, Book Bike Brew on Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. Um, these people are just regular people who are enjoying bikes and doing the best that they can. You know, nobody's getting rich and all this stuff. It, it takes a lot of hard work and determination and carving out time and scheduling and planning and everything to go and, and do this stuff. But you just, it's not that hard. All you have to do is prioritize it, like you're saying, sure. right? It's just, I want to do this. This is going to be something that I want to focus on. I want to measure myself against or uh, have it be something that helps me in any way. I mean, there's a there's a myriad of ways that, that riding a bike and being outdoors can help you. Um, but you just have to decide that it is a priority and you have to schedule for it and you make it happen. So yeah, that that's that's something I really enjoy doing is making that connection, being an antidote, because mm-hmm. I think the best thing that we can do, um, you and I and anybody else, um, is is not be a social media Instagram personality and be like, ooh, look at me, um, but but rather say uh, anybody can do this, like you said, right? Anyone can make a choice to prioritize and and speaking of alexander houchin she went from being overweight obese by her own words to deciding that she was going to change her life get on a bike get healthy and she worked her way way all the way from being obese and overweight to winning the tour divide yeah she Um, has such a cool story right so That that the most important thing is that we connect to everybody else, the 95 percent of people, not not the racers, not the people are, that are out there uh, killing it, uh, but the everyday people, you know, and me and you included people that have jobs and families and friends and everything else. We don't have sponsors or endorsements that are uh, paying for us to go and do this. We're just taking the steps and and making it a priority. And that's it, you know. Yeah, I I really love the way that you've put that. And and look, I must thank you for um for you know bringing that point to the attention of all the people who listen listen to your podcast because I think yeah you're absolutely right. It is something that people do miss. And if you're the type of person who likes to make excuses for um your own lack of you know activities in your life, it's very easy to say oh I don't have the time because I have a job. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> We've all got jobs. You know we yep. don't. We don't grow money on trees. Um, I do my all my writing at night, man. Nine yeah, o'clock, right. ten o'clock at night. I mean, when everybody's asleep. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, I want to be going to bed, but I'm out there riding my bike because I yeah. care. You know, I mean, oh, I, cool. I know I need it, and I have goals that I want to achieve, and they're not going to just make themselves happen. You know, sure, I gotta, yeah. I gotta go out and do it. Do you get some wild, like weird animals out there at that sort of time of night in your corner of the earth? Um, not weird. Um, but I do, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. I, I love night riding for the, the opportunity to engage with wildlife more, you know, humans are asleep or as I ride by their houses, I see their big screen TVs blaring at them. Um, 
you know, and, and I'm out there on my bike and I'm enjoying, I, I ride through neighborhoods and there's deer in people's front yards. And I like to take pictures and be like, <laughs> I wonder if they, you know, they're inside watching their TV and outside wildlife is happening. And, you know, it's always fascinating to me to, to experience the world on, on a bike. That's super cool. It sounds like your deer in people's gardens is my huntsman spiders in my house. Yes. Yeah. yeah. We. I mean, we do have a. We don't have any like crazy critters, and well, we do, but I don't know. Whatever. It's like yeah. I mean, whatever your environment is, you learn to accept it, understand it, and you just live with it. You know, we sure. all do, right? So, um, there's certainly scary stuff out there. But I've been an outdoor. I believe I've lived in Texas for 40 years. I've been. Uh, I started in a Boy Scouts at eight years old. Um, been outdoors camping. Uh, I've always been an outdoorsman and I've never, never sustained any serious injury or bite or, you know, it's just a lot of it I found, and this pertains to anything in life is, um, information and education is the antidote in most scenarios. Um, people just don't understand it. And so they're scared of it. Uh, so if we can learn about uh, whatever it is, I mean, if you're in the desert, you understand that anything in the desert um, values their energy very greatly, right? A snake doesn't want to bite you because that costs them a great deal of energy to bite you that they have to uh, replenish, right? So sure. if you understand that, then you can be in a desert environment and see a very deadly snake and you can just go on your way. You don't have to bother that snake. It's not going to bother you because it doesn't want to. Right. So yeah. yeah. Anyway. No, that's cool. I like that. Yeah. All right. Let's see. Small person <laughs> racing. <laughs> I'm going through my list. I think we hit everything. All right, Emma, one last time. Thank you so much for coming on the show all the well all the way from Australia. Good I might. <laughs> no, no worries at all. Thanks for having uh, me and thanks for filling in the time until I can start drinking. Well, I've already started. <laughs> it's 9:37 p.m. I'm quite lit. Where are you at right now? I'm at 1:37, so it's, it's high time now. High time. And yep. you get to go see your mate now or your partner. Yes. Yes. I haven't all right. He only just made it through with the quarantine, so I should probably go and discuss the state of the world with him. Yeah, well, good deal. Give him our best wishes, and y'all stay safe out there, and that goes for everybody out there. Um, Be smart. Stay safe. We'll get through this. And uh, what? Go ride your damn bike? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Emma. No worries at all. See ya. All right, all right, all right. Another one in the books. Thanks, Emma, for coming on and looking forward to the next one. Wishing you well out there in Tasmania. Okay, so as you heard, I got a call from my ex-wife about how one of her mom's co-workers contracted or was thought to have contracted the coronavirus. During during that, like it was like a 30-minute break. Uh, had to call a lot of a lot of family members, tell them what was going on. Had to start thinking about who did I come in contact with, where had I been, and luckily we were already um, social isolating or quarantining or whatever you want to call it, and had really um, I hadn't been in the store, hadn't 
been anywhere. So the only people that I really had contact with was my immediate family with my daughters and, and so forth. So it was relatively good that, that we were already uh, practicing that. Um, but it just kind of ramped it up another notch where it really hit home. It's like, okay, I now have a social responsibility to not engage with anybody. Uh, I don't, if I'm carrying the virus, whether I think I am or whatever, uh, until we know for sure, we can't go anywhere. None of us, we are staying home. Uh, and that was interesting. It was very eye opening. So that, uh, lady, uh, did get a test. It took, about five or six days until we got the results. Turned out she came back negative. And so it was no big deal. It's kind of a, 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 just a, it was really more like a warning, you know, it's kind of like a, okay, that's how fast it can happen. You know, uh, one second you're fine. And then you get a call and, you know, somebody at somebody's work who watched your kid or, you know, you can just see how quickly it can spread and how quickly you got to get on top of it to call your family and say, okay, don't go anywhere. Who did you touch? Who did you talk to? Where'd you go? Call them, let them know. Uh, it's a, it's a big mess. You know, you're peripherally aware of, of it, but until you get a call like that, that's when it like really hits home. Anyway, all good. We are totally fine. We're still practicing, uh, social distancing, isolating, I am in essential business with real estate, but real estate is extremely slow, as you can imagine. So mostly just staying at home with the girls, going on some solo bike rides and uh, working on some house projects, getting a lot done in the house. I think I'm going to tackle this garage next. It is a shit show in here. But uh, anyway, just want to share that it's it's a crazy, crazy time. But I, I really feel like I've said before, we're all in this together. So be smart, take care of yourself, take care of your community, take care of your loved ones. And we will get through this on the other side and we will live to ride our damn bikes. You load up your bike, you ride away from home. You could be with your friends or you could be alone. You ride for a day or maybe more. Just love being in the great outdoors. Everything you need is strapped to your bars, including that new pillow you got from Santa Claus. And then you think, oh shit to yourself. You left that super lightweight tent on the living room shelf. Bikes, 